Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hello and welcome back. My name is Mark and I'm the lead pastor here at Lux Digital Church. I hope that you're enjoying tonight because we have this extra camera. Maybe we shift to it. Maybe we, is it, is it on? There it is. You guys are awesome. I hope you're enjoying the extra camera shot tonight. It was a new addition to the studio, and we're really excited about the ability to increase our production value here at Lux and make it a more engaging experience for you. So thank you for being here with us tonight. Um, uh, D-A-N-G, Dang Dave 12. It seems to be a very put-together production. Hey, Dang Dave 12. Welcome in, by the way. We're really glad to have you. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor here at Lux. If you're here with us for the very first time tonight, thanks for joining us. Uh, say something in the chat or drop a follow here on the channel if you drop a follow in the channel all we're going to do is send you a dm here on twitch inviting you to come and join us in discord this week and if you say hello in the chat all that we're going to do is welcome you into the family we're super glad that you're here and we're so thankful to have you here with us at lux tonight if you're joining us later on on demand over on youtube or podcast or by vod or by a vod here on twitch then thank you for coming and joining us tonight thank you for investing in your spiritual walk this week and we are so glad to have you you're part of our on-demand family and we would love to have you come and join us over in discord and you can do that with the panels below or just by visiting discord.gg slash lux digital church or if you're here live tonight There'll be a link in the chat that you can join our Discord server. That's where we are 24-7 all the time. Tonight, we are in part six of a 10-week collection of talks called The Conversationalist, about halfway through, and we have been talking about the parables that Jesus told. We have a key statement for this series that we've been going back to over and over again. Our key statement right now is that Jesus told stories then that are still changing the world today. There were stories that Jesus told thousands of years ago that are literally still shaping and changing the world and lives and cultures 2,000 years later, which is absolutely amazing. And so for the last several weeks, we've been exploring what some of those simple stories are. Stories about farmers and rocks, about gravel and seeds, about planting and about vineyards and about servants and about masters. The stories about relatively simple things with profound impacts on the world that we live in today. And so we think it's worthy of taking some time and exploring it in our year-long emphasis on the person of Jesus here at Lux Digital Church. So once again, thank you for being here and thank you for jumping in with us. I have a question for you tonight and I think it's a good one and it's one I'm gonna ask you to share in chat. But have you ever experienced something before and it could be small or it could be bigger, but it's, it's usually something small where you just kind of feel like, man, that wasn't fair. Have you ever had like a that's not fair fair moment. I have two kids. And so right now with my two kids, everything is literally about fairness, right? If my older daughter has two Barbies, my younger daughter needs two Barbies. If my older daughter gets a cookie, my younger daughter needs a cookie. If my younger daughter gets candy, my older daughter also needs to get candy because it's all about having a level playing field. We are all about fair. So if you've had a moment before where you had that moment where you were like, holy cow, wait up. This is not fair. Post it in the chat, and we're going to watch a quick video clip from one of my favorite animated series, the show Bluey. And it's all about what is and what isn't fair. 
I love Bluey, and I love how very, very real it is, and how much Bandit has inspired me to become a better father. I've told you before, I've channeled my inner WWBD. What would Bandit do? WWBD, my inner WWBD before, just asking myself, what would Bandit do? We had a couple of descriptions in the chat, but to be honest with you, most people are just hyped that Bluey was on the screen, which is hilarious and adorable. Uh, The point is, most of us run into seasons in life, or at least we have when we were younger, where we thought things weren't fair. And whether that was splitting a cookie with your sibling and making sure that you got the bigger piece, or that was some grander injustice. And the reality is our culture is still obsessed with what is and with what isn't fair. If you look in our world today, there's a huge effort to lever the playing field. And whether that's leveling the playing field between men and women or people of different skin colors or something else, we're always trying to equalize things. We, we want people to have the same opportunities, to be able to live out their dreams and you know, to be able to get rich and famous if they want to or to be able to live by the beach and not be rich and famous if they want to. We want people to have a level, level playing field to be able to pursue whatever it is they want their life to be about. And if you look at our culture, it's it's obsessive right now, actually, like this idea of making things even, of, of things being fair. Uh, if you actually had, was looking some stuff up online about this, and recently uh, there's a, a group, like a designated panel in the state of California that has come up with um, what they, repetitions, I don't, I can never remember the word, but basically payments that are owed to the African-American community in California for wrongs that have been committed to them since like 1840. Uh, I just think it's really interesting that whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, you have to agree with the fact that our culture, at least right now, is really obsessed with making a level playing field. But life isn't fair, and it's never going to be. We're unique, and unique means unfair. Like, you you can't have things be fair and also have people be unique. We were born with different bodies in different places, with different families. We were born with different IQs, different DNA, different fingerprints, different advantages and different disadvantages. Every one of us came into this world a little bit different. And so by definition, that means that if things can't be the same, things will never actually truly be able to be fair between one person and the next. But the idea of things being fair, or or at least having a level playing field, or or things being even, has possessed the minds of people for thousands of years. It it isn't just something that's come up in sort of like American culture, or maybe you're in Canada, Canadian culture, European culture over the last decade. Uh, This is an idea that has existed for all time people's desire for things to be even or things to be fair to equal out the scales and it's actually proven through some of the things that Jesus taught about I'm going to be reading from a parable tonight and before I get into that I want to get into this idea about the kingdom of God Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God in fact primarily Jesus taught about the kingdom of God he he always talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven which is the same thing translated or written in two different ways in different gospel accounts And when we read about the kingdom of heaven, I think our minds immediately flash to the idea of sort of like clouds and sunshine, maybe golden roads and feathery wings. We imagine sort of, you know, getting our pass punched at the pearly gates, getting past St. Peter, grabbing our new set of wings and then flying off. And this idea has been created by culture as well. It's all throughout our culture. Uh, Even down to some old black and white movies, right? The old black and white movie, and I'm going to forget its name, and uh, it's just blanking off the top of my head, where an angel gets his wings, right? And Clarence is there trying to do a good deed in order. uh, What was that? It's a Wonderful Life is there trying to earn his wings, right? So we have this idea that eventually we're going to go to heaven one day, and 
we're going to earn our wings. And so when we hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven, we immediately begin equating what Jesus talked about to this sort of ethereal place, this sort of like a wispy place in the skies where we bounce from cloud to cloud in joy and eternal light. But the Bible doesn't really describe heaven much like that. And when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven, he was talking about the afterlife, but he wasn't just talking about the afterlife. In fact, Jesus was almost always describing a new kingdom that he was creating. And it was almost always compared and contrasted with what the Jews of his day imagined the kingdom of Israel was going to be like. Uh, The Jews were waiting for a Messiah, not to save them from their sins, but to reinstate Israel as a national or an international superpower. They were waiting for a new king to sit on the throne. They were waiting for a very physical kingdom that would occupy the promised land. And so when Jesus came, they wanted to know, was he this coming king? Was he the Messiah that was going to rescue them from their oppressors? Was that who Jesus was? And every time they asked him questions about what his kingdom would be like or what Israel was going to be like under his rule, he consistently contrasted their ideas about what Israel should be like with his knowledge of what the kingdom of God would be like. And Jesus came to institute this spiritual kingdom that was about a lot more than our eternal destinations. It included that, yes, but he was welcoming people into a partnership with God, an allegiance and a kingdom mentality, a new citizenship. They would be a group of people that would be allied with God to restore a broken and destroyed world, a world that was shattered, a a, a wisp and a form of what it was supposed to truly be that these people who followed him would be the very people who would put that broken world back together. And in the end of all things, that his father and he would restore a broken world to its original state. And then those who followed him would be welcomed in because they had been partners with him in rebuilding it. And so when he put the finishing touches on it, they would also be able to enjoy that kingdom that they had built together. You see, this idea around heaven and hell was substantially more nuanced in the eyes and the minds of Jesus and in an ancient Jewish learner's mind. Uh, The people who were before Jesus and following him around were oftentimes confused by this, and so he usually taught them about this new kingdom in the form of parables or stories with a moral point, which is what we're going to touch on tonight. It's one of my favorite parables that Jesus taught, and it's found in the book of Matthew. Let's take a look at the very beginning of it first. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal day wage and sent them out to work. Let's stop there for just a moment. And I want to be, give, be able to give us a little bit of background as to what's actually going on here. So this passage actually takes place in the eastern side of Israel, out by the Jordan River. Jesus is teaching kind of in that region on the side of the Jordan when a young man who is rich, they describe him as the rich young ruler, comes up to Jesus and asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus responds, follow the law. And he responds, which law? Because there's literally hundreds or thousands of them. And so Jesus tells him which laws. And the young man says, great, I've done those things. What else? And Jesus says, one thing that you're lacking. Go sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. The Bible tells us the man went away with extreme sadness because he was attached to his things and his many possessions. It says that he had great wealth. We actually see him get the same invitation that the other disciples of the 12 get. 
but he never gets heard from again. He leaves unable to walk away. And then Jesus says, just so you know, it's impossible for someone who is wealthy to enter into my kingdom. It's impossible for the rich to enter my kingdom. And to the Jews, that makes no sense because to the Jews, wealth was the blessing of God. If someone who's blessed directly from God with extreme wealth is incapable of entering this kingdom, then who could possibly be righteous enough to enter the kingdom that Jesus was instituting, the one that he was hearkening in? Well, Jesus' response says what's impossible for a man is actually possible with God. And then he has a really unique phrase. He says that the first will be last and the last will be first in his kingdom. And you can almost see the perplexed looks on the disciples' faces. Like, what? What does that mean? The first will be last and the last will be first. And so he illustrates it by telling a story. And that's the beginning of the story we just picked up. So let's go back to it and read a little bit further. It says this. At nine o'clock in the morning, he, the landowner, was passing through the marketplace, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard, and at noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw that more people saw more people standing around. So he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full, day, full day's wage. And when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. And when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. These people worked only one hour, and yet you've, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it, again, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So Jesus has this encounter with his disciples. He has this encounter with a rich young man. And he explains the situation. Then after he explains the situation, he then says this really strange phrase. In his kingdom, the first will be last and last will be first. They don't understand. So Jesus explains with a story or a parable, a story with a moral point. And he says, listen, in my kingdom, there's a landowner. And he goes out to the market and he gets workers at the beginning of the day. And he promises to pay them a day's wage. So they go out and work. And he goes out at three other times during that day. And at last, he goes out during the last hour of the day and finds still more workers hanging out in the market. He tells them to go to work, that he'll pay them what's fair, and they go to work. At the end of the day, the people who work the least get up and they receive their pay, a full day's wage. And when the people who've worked all day long see that those people receive the same pay as them, they become frustrated and angry and they protest. And the owner or the landowner says, why are you so upset with me? Aren't I allowed to do what I want with my money? I paid you what's fair, and I paid you what I told you I would. But this is how life is sometimes. Oftentimes, we get into situations where we look at stuff and we say, man, this just isn't fair. And if you know anything about the Jewish ruling system, or the Jewish leaders and their laws, 
there were not just hundreds, but oftentimes thousands of laws that the Jews imposed on the people around them. And there was this strong hierarchy, this huge pecking order in Jewish culture, and specifically Jewish religious culture. And it was meant to keep the sinners and the people that they didn't like down. It was meant to keep the religious elite up and elevated above everybody else. That the rich people, like this rich young ruler, would have been a celebrated person because clearly he had obeyed God well and was receiving the blessings that were due to him, that God blessed him. Uh, there was this real strong religious undertone that if you do good things, you get good things. And if you do bad things, well, you get bad things. This is just common practice and understanding inside of Jewish culture. And here Jesus comes along and says, no, my kingdom isn't going to be like that. And I think it's important that we understand the different players in this story and what they represent before we dig into two things that I believe Jesus is saying about his kingdom that were completely and totally in contradiction to the way the Israelites saw things and oftentimes completely and totally in contradiction to the way we see them as well. The players in this story are interesting. The landowner is almost certainly God. Uh, the person who's in control, the master, the father, the king, the landowner, is almost always Jesus' father in these stories. And then we also have the vineyard, which is oftentimes depicted as the kingdom, or the place where people are being sent out to work. Which is really interesting, because sometimes the field or the wilderness is considered kind of a dreaded place. That the curse on mankind was that they would go out and they would work the land. So there's this place that is owned by God and protected by God. And somehow, with inside that hedge of protection and with inside the land that he owns, he brings people in at different points in times, at different parts of the day, which is to depict throughout the course of a human life. And so he's showing that there are some of you as Jews who have lived as Jews and obeyed the laws of, of God throughout the Old Testament throughout your entire lives. And you're like those who got picked up at the market in the morning and you went into the vineyard to work. And then there are others like the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners that have been baptized by John the Baptist, which we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, that have also entered the vineyard to work. And you're going to find it to be unfair that they are going to receive the same payment that you have received for their work in my father's vineyard. The landowner isn't being unfair to you for rewarding one person the gift of eternal life and rewarding someone else the same thing. He's promised you a spot inside of his kingdom and an opportunity to partner with him and rebuild a broken world, the same as he's promised to the person who showed up in the last moments. So I think there's two things that we can learn that the Jews believed that Jesus was debunking and challenging through this. The first, uh, there's three things, sorry. The first one is this, the better you are, the more that you get. The better you are, the more that you get. This is a common thought inside of all religion and all religious practices, that if you just do the right things, if you just execute properly, that in the end of the day, you'll be more rewarded, that you'll get a little bit extra somewhere along the line. Now, there is certainly a pretty clear di distinction in Scripture that those of us who serve the Lord throughout our lives do reap some sort of a heavenly reward that is different in kind than potentially the heavenly reward that others may receive. That there's some sort of a variance when we are in front of Jesus, when we sit in the judgment seat of Christ. That there are those who will build with precious stones and enter heaven with them, and there will be those who build with straws and sticks and stubble, and those things will be burnt in a fire of purification, and they will be like one escaping from the flames. The Bible is pretty clear about that. But in this case, Jesus isn't talking about the quantity. He's talking about the quality. He's not talking about the quantity of blessing. He's talking about the quality of blessing. 
And in here, he's talking about eternal life. Not, not just eternal life, like strapping on my wings and gliding through heaven somewhere. He's talking about the ability to be part of the new heaven and the new earth, the restored Eden, when Jerusalem would come down. And this earth doesn't pass away, but it continues and it persists, but it returns to perfection. And he's talking about that new world, that heaven, that eternity that he's inviting people into. And I think it's really interesting to show that it doesn't matter whether he invited them into the vineyard in the beginning of the day or the end of the day, that the same reward is on the table. And it also doesn't show that people are able to sneak in at the last possible moment. Um, I, I've had this conversation with a lot of people over the years and people who would say, well, if I was going to become a Christian, why don't I just wait until the last possible moment? Like, why don't I just have fun here and now and do whatever the heck I want? And then one day, right before I die, I'll give my life to Jesus. I think it's an interesting thought. I think it's an interesting thought of like, well, maybe I could just be whoever I want to be now. And then at the last moment, I'll turn my life over. We're going to talk about that in a moment in point three. Here's the next thing that the Jews believed that I think Jesus is challenging and debunking. It's this idea that God is fair. He has this idea inside of Jewish culture that God is fair, that he's going to treat us fairly. Once again, if we do the right things, that God will give us good things. If we do the wrong things, that God will give us the bad things. That in some way, shape, or form, that that makes God fair. And when we think of God in an earthly manner, certainly that sort of thing makes sense. And it might seem blasphemous to you because fairness and equality are elevated to be the highest good in our culture. So to consider the idea that God isn't fair is absolutely outrageous. But let me just tell you that he isn't. But he's not not fair because he paid everybody the same wage at the end of the day. He's not fair because he invited them in the vineyard to begin with. So you and I owe God a great debt because of the many sins that we've committed. He knows every thought that's come through our minds, every word that's come through our mouth, and every action that we've done. We talked about this last week. And so if you want to check it out, go to YouTube. We have a deep message and a deep dive on that that we had last week here at Lux. And with that enormous debt that we owe God, we are deserved, deserving of, of nothing. We're not deserving of salvation. We are not deserving of working in the vineyard. We're not deserving of an invite into the kingdom. We are not deserving of healing. If this isn't about what we deserve. The very fact that Jesus died on our behalf and rose again, defeating death for us, the very fact that God sacrificed his son is totally and completely unfair. What is fair is that we go to the fires of hell, experience damnation and eternal separation from God because we've turned our back on him and allowed our lives to participate in the continual destruction, deterioration, and shattering of his world. If, if we are, if it was fair, we would be in hell. Heaven is unfair. An invitation into the kingdom is unfair. A payment at the end of the day for working in the vineyard is unfair. God is anything but fair. He creates us in perfection. He calls us to the standard as his children, part of his created order. And for most of us, we spend each of our days slowly but surely tearing apart, destroying, and shattering the lives of the people around us. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Even the best of us have selfish desires and inward motives that we're not being entirely honest with ourselves about, let alone the people that we are manipulating. The reality is that it's totally unfair to receive salvation. God is anything but 
fair. And there isn't a point system. There isn't a checkbox system. It isn't like do the right things so that at the end of the day, you come out of the vineyard and you receive the payment and somebody else doesn't. You don't have to work in the vineyard for a certain amount of time. You don't need to give your life to Jesus at eight, recommit your life to Jesus at seventh grade, feel a calling into ministry in high school. That's my story. Your story might be that you have run from God, that you've intentionally been far from him, that you have used and abused and mistreated people and you've acted intentionally, selfishly your entire life and God comes to the market and he offers you the chance to enter the vineyard that you would receive the same pay as me. God is anything but fair. The man who died on the cross next to Jesus spent eternity and will spend eternity with God the same payment that Paul, who gave his entire life to start churches and serve the Lord, received. The same offer is on the table for all who will enter the vineyard. God is not fair. And the last thing that I think Jesus is attacking inside of the Jewish view of what the kingdom would be and what the kingdom of Israel would be is this, the idea that the vineyard is a bad place to be. You see, there was this idea that if they had given up so much, in fact, literally whenever the rich young man went away, Peter came to Jesus and said, well, Father, Jesus, what are we going to receive, Master? When, when, when we show up in the next life. What are we going to receive? We've given up everything. And, and Jesus tells you, you're going to receive a reward for all of the things that you've given up. But it's not about the reward that you are going to receive. It's about the chance that you have to work in the vineyard. We sort of have this opinion, let's go back to it, that if I just got to live my life however I wanted to live it, I could do whatever I wanted with my life. I, I could live in total debauchery. I could live in selfishness, pursuing my passionate pursuits. I can look at Anything that I want to look to, I can do anything that I want to. I can do anything to anyone that I want to do. It's up to me. And at the end of my life, in my dying breath, I'll turn my life over to Jesus. I just want to be really clear with you. First off, you're not tricking God. God is not a, Jesus isn't a get out of jail free card. You're not going to get to the end and whisper some prayer without believing it and, and suddenly go to heaven. Like you're not going to trick him. He didn't create a magic set of words. This isn't Harry Potter. It's a life committed and devoted to Jesus or it is not. The, the next thing that I want to expand on is let's just explore the idea that yes, indeed, you've decided to live your life in total recklessness and debauchery up until the point of your dying breath and that's coming tomorrow. And tomorrow, before your dying breath, you decide to truly surrender your life to Jesus with everything in you and you're going to give it over to him and indeed, you receive the payment in the last hour like the workers who were called in the last moment of the day. You never really got a chance to enter the vineyard but your dying breath was spent within your father's land. Let's assume that that was the case. Was your life actually better? When you, when you get to the next life and you get to look back upon your life, was your life actually better? When you look back and you could have seen a trail of trust and hope and love and compassion and restoration and you see a trail of destruction and hurt and pain of selfishness and indulgence, is your life actually better? Does your desire to pursue selfish things, to go after whatever it is that your heart wants, does it actually make your life any better? Because when Jesus invites us into the vineyard, he doesn't just invite us in for the pay at the end of the day. He invites us into a place where there is life and there is life to the full. He invites us into a place. Jesus invites us into the vineyard because it's what our life was intended to be. It's where our purpose lies. It's where our identity hides. Everything that is about us is found in the Father's vineyard 
if we refuse to enter it throughout our lives, we may receive the payment as the other workers did at the end of the day, but our lives leave the world in greater distress and greater destruction than it does in healing and restoration. It isn't worth it, my friends, leading a life of self-indulgence to commit your life to Jesus in the final moments in the hopes of a get-out-of-jail-free card because you're afraid of damnation isn't worth it. The hope that you're looking for, the restoration that you're looking for, the purpose that you're looking for, it lies in the life of Jesus Christ. If you've been laying in bed at night and you cannot sleep, if you have been worried to death, if you've allowed fears to overcome you, can I tell you that the answer isn't found in the market, it's found in the vineyard. That the answer isn't found mingling in the market, it's found in working the land. That Jesus has purpose, that he has intention for you inside the kingdom, inside his father's vineyard. There is life and there is life to the full. And it isn't easy, but let me tell you that it is worth it. It is worth it. And then Jesus ends with this, and he says something also confusing. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Cloud, if you want to uh, hold off, I'll, I'll feel more than free to chat with that question, man. That's a tough one. It's a deep one. It's one that every pastor's heard about a dozen times. But I'd love to chat with you about it. The first will be last, and the last will be first. When Jesus says all this, does this mean that his kingdom is, is sort of topsy-turvy? Is it the upside down? That the rich will be poor and the poor will be rich? Should I go and sell my house and give away everything that I have so that one day I would have riches in heaven? Maybe. But that's not what this is about. It's not saying that if you receive blessings now, you'll receive curses later. It isn't saying that you'll just have an inverse of the experience you've had in life, but you'll have it echoed into eternity. If that was the case, I'm in trouble. As a white male American, I've had every advantage in the world. I don't want to live the inverse of this life and the one to come. So what does Jesus mean? Well, listen, he's talking very directly about the Jewish culture that he was in. The Jewish culture that he was surrounded in, the one that expected him to sit on the throne, to overthrow the Romans, to take back the kingdom, to sit on David's throne for all eternity, to return them to the powerful place that they were back in David and Solomon's day. They were expecting for very specific people to hold positions of power inside that kingdom. And here Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand it. The humble and the meek, the mourning and the broken, the prostitute and the sinner, the tax collector and the liar, the betrayer, when they repent and they come into my kingdom, it is as though they will become first because the things of my world and the things that matter inside of my kingdom are not the things that matter inside of your kingdom. Our world elevates people and elevates actions. It elevates sexuality. It elevates all sorts of identities. It elevates all sorts of things inside our culture. It raises them. It elevates them. It platforms them. It worships them. And here Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. It will be the humble that have the power in my kingdom. It'll be the meek. It'll be the quiet. It'll be the loving. It'll be the compassionate. It'll be the forgiving. If you want to be first in my kingdom, that you have to abandon the preconceived ideas that are portrayed in this world about what will be first and what is most important. You'll have to learn to love people better, that you'll have to learn to serve people better, 
that you'll have to learn that this life is but a flash for the eternity that is to come. That you are here to restore the world, not take what you can get from it. Last will be first, and the first will be last. It's called humility and compassion and love inside of his kingdom. That God calls us to something bigger and greater. Which brings us to our why it matters tonight. Because every night I like to try to sum up why it matters so that you have some sort of idea about, well, why the heck we talked about this. How does this 2,000-year-old story actually impact your life today? And our why it matters this week is this. It's a blessing to be invited into the vineyard. It is a blessing to be invited into the vineyard. My friends, God did not call you into work for him and with him in partnership with him because he wanted to curse you or harm you. You may be looking around and be like, man, I don't want to work in the kingdom. I don't want to work with, I don't want to follow Jesus throughout my life if somebody else can get the same reward at the end of it. But I'm telling you, my friends, it is a blessing to receive the invitation into the vineyard. Listen, as human beings, we think the goal is is the coin at the end of the day. We think that's the reward. But the reward is the invitation at the market to join the master in the vineyard. That's where the real treasure is in this story. That God actually invites us into partnership with him, into relationship with him, that we would know him. Despite all of the brokenness and all of the hate and all of the torment and all of the difficulty in the world, that in him we can find hope and restoration, that in him we can fight for something better, in him we can restore something that was lost and something that was broken. The true blessing, my friends, the true blessing, it's not the coin at the end of the day, but it's the invitation from the market to enter the vineyard. Let's pray. Father God, I love you and I thank you. I praise you, Father, for being a good and gracious and loving God. I thank you for so many people who came out tonight, some of the new folks who are here with us tonight. I thank you for their stories. I thank you for the things that they've shared. I thank you for the, the things that are on their hearts. I pray, God, for the things that they're experiencing where things are broken or hurtful or damaging to them. I pray, Father, that you would draw close to them, and I pray even now, God, that you would reveal yourself to them, Lord. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.